Welcome to the worship podcast for Grace Episcopal Church in Newton Corner, Massachusetts, for Sunday, January 17th, 2020. I'm Regina Walton, pastor and rector of Grace Church. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are welcome at God's altar at Grace. Today is the first week of our abbreviated worship podcast as we shift to a new format. Join us for an online Liturgy of the Word at 11 a.m. on Sundays, by clicking on the live stream from our website, gracenewton.org, or log into the Zoom meeting via the link in Grace Today. The exception to this is in two weeks on January 31st, when we will worship at 10 a.m. and hold our annual meeting online at 11 a.m. This shorter version of the worship podcast will include the Collect of the Day, the Gospel, the Sermon, and the Closing Hymn. The other lessons are available for you to read in the order of service linked in our weekly worship email. This is one of those weeks when I do refer to all the lessons in my sermon, despite the advice of my former rector when I was a curate, who often told me that I had too much Bible in my sermons. I like to think I'm making up for all the other preachers who have too little Bible in theirs. However you join us for worship, we are glad to have you with us as a part of the Grace community. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known worshipped and obeyed to the ends of the earth, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John, chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. This week, in the aftermath of the insurrection at the Capitol, more information is being released about just how close members of Congress came to being kidnapped or assassinated. 
We're hearing more stories and seeing video of Capitol Police being beaten by rioters with American flags and even thin blue line flags. And people are asking, what role did the president's own words play in instigating the mob, in calling on his supporters to commit treasonous acts of violence? We have an example before us of a leader who has lived his life with a complete lack of integrity, who in addition to a remarkable and well-documented absence of basic honesty, decency, and respect of others in all his dealings, has at every turn promoted white supremacy, Christian nationalism, and patriarchy in language both coded and plain. But as we approach Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, in Dr. King, we also have an example of a leader who lived his life with integrity, who lifted others up, who saw their worth and insisted on it, and who called out and named the twin sins of white supremacy and Christian nationalism at every turn, who preached against the economic exploitation of the poor, and who made the ultimate sacrifice of his life in the service of equality and justice. It's worth remembering this week the profound effect that a leader with integrity, a leader casting a vision of beloved community, can have on ordinary people, even and especially in times of great national division. The following is a reflection by Louis Crew Clay, an Episcopalian who died in 2019 at the age of 82. This reflection was first published in the Episcopal magazine, The Living Church, in 1974. I'll read the full reflection to you because it's worth hearing. Martin Luther King Jr., A White Southerner's Perspective by Louis Crew Clay. A person's message often succeeds as much with outsiders as with the audience at home. As Gandhi astounded the British, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. left some of his greatest treasure to white Southerners like me. Dr. King taught me that people close to me, people whom I trusted, my people, people who had treated me well, wronged black people. Learning this lesson, I wondered how many other ways my people had taught me to transgress. Dr. King took away some of my props. I could no longer afford to accept anyone's views without first carefully examining them. He began my education. Dr. King taught me that fair people sometimes have to subvert a sick society. While only a few in the black community considered him subversive, in living room after living room in my part of town, the name Martin Luther King used to turn even sweet grandmothers into raving preachers and jolly uncles into clansmen and citizen counselors. It did not take long for me to see that the violence my people feared from Dr. King was the violence of our own nature. His doctrine of love exposed us as spiritually impoverished. Without this painful exposure, few of us would have done much to remedy our plight. Dr. King humanized my personal heroes. I do not mean remote heroes in books, I mean those closer to us, figures in one's family or community who, despite routine and heavy exposure, still suggest a measure of greatness. I could have chosen one of the little Confederate soldiers on any town square or a daddy serving on a local school board. But Dr. King showed me that the soldier, my great-grandfather, 
fought in a morally questionable cause, and that the school board which my father chaired unjustly robbed black people of their human rights and personal dignity when it segregated them. Dr. King became a different kind of hero, someone who showed that when we tried to discover a just way, the world does not tumble down. On the contrary, it starts to make sense. Dr. King did not allow even well-meaning white people to control him. He taught me to respect blackness as I had never done before. I graduated from high school the year of the Little Rock decision. My environment had segregated me from all black people except domestic servants. I never met a black person with more than a high school education until I was out of college. I even had to sneak to read black literature, never mentioned by my professors. Dr. King broke through these barriers, revealed to me the inadequacy of my education, showed me that to live in the world, I had better start looking for leadership in new places, in black places, from black people. Most importantly, Dr. King shared his dream of reconciliation. He taught me that no matter how wickedly my people had behaved, we whites might one day worthily sit at tables with blacks. Dr. King kept open for me and for all people a chance to walk out of narrow racism into a world community right in my own hometown. Louis Cruz says, This was published eight months before I founded Integrity and before I was banned by the Living Church. The editor wanted to remove my remark about the White Citizens Council, saying that he had readers who respected the organization, but kept my reference when I asked him to. So that's just a note on our own church's history around these issues. The organization Louis Crew Clay founded called Integrity worked tirelessly to include LGBT people and lift up their leadership in the Episcopal Church, and parish churches like Grace are more loving and more just because of this organization's work. I am struck how, in 2021, so many white Americans are having similar experiences to Clay's, of finding their sweet grandmothers and jolly uncles turned into raving racists at the mention of Black Lives Matter, or spouting the most far-fetched conspiracy theories utterly disconnected from reality. How many white Americans are painfully reckoning with the fact that the violence my people feared from Dr. King was the violence of our own nature? This reckoning played out on live TV from the Capitol on January 6th, but it has been playing out daily for centuries. This is the power that living with integrity can have on others. Living with integrity means living according to a set of values that lift others up. It is treating everyone according to the same set of principles. It's living an ethical life without compromise, which means that a life of integrity is also a life of sacrifice. This set of scripture lessons that we hear on the second Sunday after the Epiphany are often interpreted to be about call, the call of the boy Samuel, the call of the disciples. But these lessons are also about living a life with integrity, which often precedes call. Integrity is the bedrock of a faithful life. Without it, we are not able to answer God's call to us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Psalm 139, one of the most beautiful psalms in the Bible, begins with integrity 
at its most intimate and deepest source, that each human being was created by God, knit together by God in our mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. And because of this relationship of creator to creation, we are fully known and fully loved. God knows everything about us. Nothing is hidden. The psalmist says to the Lord, You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. And so our relationship with God is one of knowledge and love and also of accountability. We can hide a lot of things about ourselves from others, but not from God. God also loves us as one ready to forgive and to give us the grace to make a new start when we fail to walk in God's way of love. But at the very core of our being is this accountability and call to integrity in all our activities and relationships. The story of the call of the prophet Samuel as a young boy is also the story of the fall of the house of Samuel's guardian, Eli. Very often this passage in the lectionary ends with verse 10, where Samuel says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening which effectively cuts us off from hearing what it is God has been trying to tell Samuel. God has a difficult message for Samuel to relate to Eli. God is going to punish Eli from turning a blind eye for turning a blind eye to his son's blasphemy. Eli's ability to serve God as priest in the temple is compromised by his neglect of the wrongdoing in his own family. The text says his eyesight has dimmed, and we are to understand that this is a spiritual commentary on Eli as well as a physical one. At the beginning of Samuel's life and ministry, Eli's example is a warning to him, and he grows up to be a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. In the epistle, we hear the Apostle Paul telling the Corinthians to shun fornication. There has probably not been a rip-roaring sermon on fornication at Grace in many a long year. This morning is not the right time for one, you'll be relieved to hear. But Paul is reminding these church members that there are certain activities they cannot participate in as Christians. There are certain people they should not be found in bed with. This includes but extends far beyond the confines of sexuality. We need to guard both our bodily and our spiritual integrity. This is part of being fearfully and wonderfully made by God and involves both self-respect and respecting others and respecting our Creator with our bodies and our actions. The Gospel from the first chapter of John on the calling of Philip and then Nathaniel leaves us with the question of, What the heck did Jesus see Nathanael doing under the fig tree, and why was it a sign that he was an Israelite in whom there is no deceit? Well, we'll never know. But it is clear that Jesus sees Nathanael as a person of integrity, someone who has been awaiting the Messiah and keeping the law and looking in hope for the redemption of his people, even if he is prejudiced against certain zip codes like Nazareth. To live a life of integrity means you are willing to sacrifice to maintain it. Ultimately, integrity is unselfish and focused not on our own needs, but the needs of others. It calls us to the truth, 
including the truths we'd rather not see about ourselves, our families, our community, our history, our nation. Integrity calls us to repentance and to loving action, to restore justice where justice has been denied, and to not give in to hopelessness or despair. Integrity is not a conditional virtue. Cornell West says, if your success is defined as being well-adjusted to injustice and well-adapted to indifference, then we don't want successful leaders. We want leaders who love the people enough to respect, that love the people enough and respect the people enough to be unsought, unbound, unafraid, and unintimidated to tell the truth. The gospel is always calling us to break out of the mold of being well-adjusted to injustice and well-adapted to indifference. That is never more true than right here and right now, January 2021 in the United States. How we respond to this call is up to us. In God's name, amen. What wondrous love is this, O my soul, O my soul? What wondrous love is this, O my soul? What wondrous love is I'll sing on and through it.